millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This episode contains distressing themes, explicit language, and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. On April 28, 2018, the woman nervously went to the police station to report a disturbing conversation she'd had with a co-worker a few days earlier. She was drinking with her friend's father, a man she believed had just lost his wife to suicide. As he consumed his first pint of the evening, the widower made a startling confession. However, it was less than a week before his partner's body was due to be cremated, and vital evidence would be lost forever. How long were you married to Leslie for? 25 years, 26 years. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 15 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Located on the south coast of Wales, Mumbles is a village on the west end of Swansea Bay. The seaside village offers scenic views, not only of the coast but the Victorian Pier and Oyster Mouth Castle. Around five miles from Wales' second largest city, Mumbles is an ideal place to call home topping the poll of best places to live in Wales according to the Sunday Times in 2020. Number One Hill Street was home to Derek and Leslie Potter. 
The pair had been married for over two decades and enjoyed village life. They were familiar faces locally, as the couple had once run a cafe together. It's hard to conceive that something so awful could happen in such an idyllic place, but around 11.20am on the morning of April 7th, 2018, Derek Potter called his daughter. He had some devastating news. Derek told her he had found Leslie dead. His daughter put the phone down and called for an ambulance moments before Derek Potter had called 999. When asked if he needed an ambulance, Derek replied, No, the person is dead. She has hung herself. Emergency workers arrived at Hill Street and were greeted at the door by Derek. Paramedic Mark Gabb had received a red call, something that indicated there was a threat to a person's life, but it was downgraded to green as he was en route, when it was reported the patient had already passed away. Gabb was one of the first people to arrive at the scene. It was later recalled that Derek Potter was rational and composed as he directed paramedics to the rear bedroom. He was not crying or visibly upset. Leslie Potter was found in an unusual position, lying naked on a table. Her legs were dangling off the edge, and there was a rope hanging from a roof beam. There was also a knife on the floor. Leslie had red marks on her neck, and sadly it was apparent there were no signs of life. Paramedic Mark Gabb spoke with Derek Potter, who told him that he had left the house for half an hour that morning to collect some money from a friend. When he returned home, he found Leslie. Upon discovering her body, he said he cut her down. The paramedic kindly made Derek a cup of tea and he began to relay his wife's mental state. Derek said that Leslie had been dependent on alcohol and increasingly depressed, but she would not get help despite his pleas for her to do so. Mark Gabb later recalled something peculiar about the apparent suicide, saying... It seemed odd that she had no clothing on. I have attended numerous hangings and they have never been naked, so it was unusual, but I wasn't suspicious of it. Two local officers from Townhill Police Station were dispatched to the scene, PC Stuart Sandy and PC Paul Thomas. PC Sandy walked into the bedroom where Leslie's body remained, and noted it looked like the room had previously been a workshop. After returning to the living room, PC Sandy found Derek sitting on the sofa near the fire, appearing upset. Derek was asked about his wife. And what, uh, what did she do for a living? She was a market 
market research analyst. I don't market research analyst. Sorry? Is the door locked you returned home? Yeah. You have to get in with the keys, is yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Right, okay. Did you lock the door when you left, or did... Yeah, just pull it to the latch. And this is One Hill Road. One, one Hill Street. Hill Street. Derek explained that Leslie had been in bed when he left the house that morning, and he had made her a cup of tea before leaving at around 10.30am. The officer asked if there were any reasons why his wife may have taken her own life. Derek replied that they had been out the night before for a meal in a local pub, the George. Leslie was quite sad because her son was going back home to Oxford. Derek said that he believed his wife suffered from anxiety, but she refused to see a doctor. Leslie also had arthritis, and a back injury sustained in an accident at work caused her a great deal of pain. She took medication and cannabis to try and alleviate her symptoms. The police officers offered their commiserations and asked Derek which funeral director he would like them to contact. He replied, I don't think I can afford a fucking funeral. The officers believed the scene was not suspicious and Leslie's body was released to the funeral home as her family tried to come to terms with the loss. Leslie had two children, Victoria and Adrian, with a previous partner. She had met and married Derek Potter in 1992. The couple then had a daughter, Nicole. Soon after they married... They took on the task of managing a cafe for a time before Leslie began working in market research. Derek Potter shifted career paths too, finding work as a carpenter and a roofer. By 2018, 66-year-old Leslie was a proud grandmother. She had five grandchildren and a sixth on the way. Leslie and Derek had enjoyed a family meal on April 6th, the day before the alleged suicide. They met their daughter Nicole, and Nicole's husband and son in the George, a local pub where Nicole worked. By all accounts, everything seemed normal. They enjoyed a meal together. There were no red flags, nothing in their conversations or Leslie's behaviour that appeared different. It was unfathomable to Leslie's children when they heard the news of her death the following morning. While they prepared themselves to go to Swansea for their mother's funeral, Derek Potter carried on as usual, returning to work as a roofer. Two and a half weeks later, on April 25th, Potter had been working on the roof of the Trams Cafe building in Mumbles with a friend of his daughter's, 
Natalia Mikhailova Kisilevskia. After they had finished their shift for the evening, they agreed to go for a drink in the George pub. Potter arrived at the bar before Natalia and bought the first round of drinks. Natalia joined him at a table shortly after. In general conversation, Natalia told Potter how much she enjoyed working on the roof. However, the topic was about to take a darker turn. Potter told Natalia that he had something he wanted to say. Without any emotion, he blurted out, I love my wife very much, but she was doing my head in, so I strangled her. Natalia was stunned and thought it was his attempt at some sort of joke, but the way Potter said it with such a straight face made her feel that maybe he had actually killed his wife. Potter explained that life with Leslie had been difficult, and she divulged during her last words to him that she had a crush on someone else, a man she originally knew from her school days. At first, Potter asked Natalia not to tell his daughter Nicole, but if she did tell her, he did not really care anyway. Natalia replied that she would not say anything. She did not feel it was her place, and she did not want to risk making Potter angry. The conversation shifted from sinister to bizarre, when Potter told Natalia he wanted her to move in with him. She later testified. He said I didn't even have to give him sex, just be his. He said he really liked me. I said he was mad and tried to change the subject. Natalia told Potter about a foot injury she had sustained in self-defence class and he asked if he could take a look. The barmaid remembered Potter and Natalia, who she later described as a chatty woman. The member of bar staff recalled thinking the pair both smelled of weed. At one stage, she saw Potter massaging Natalia's foot, and he even asked for ice to put on Natalia's ankle. Later that evening, Potter invited Natalia back to his home to continue drinking and smoking. Natalia did not smoke drugs, but Potter did. She declined the offer, and after three pints, Natalia stood up to leave the pub. Potter loaned her his coat for the walk home. The next day, the pair went back to work on the roof together, and Natalia returned Potter's jacket. As days passed, she became more concerned about what he had told her in the pub, but she was reluctant to get involved. Natalia later said, I had a long think, and I thought it was wrong what he said and what he did. I contacted my two closest friends. I spoke to my friend who is a lawyer in Canada, she said, if he did it or not, I have got to tell the police. Natalia reported the conversation to the authorities on April 28th. 
Leslie's remains were then in the funeral home in preparation for a cremation service scheduled for the following week. With the new information, detectives had Leslie's body removed from the Chapel of Rest and transported to the University Hospital of Wales in Cardiff for a post-mortem examination. While investigators awaited the post-mortem results, they arrested Derek Potter on April 30th at the same building where he had been working on the roof with Natalia. As he was placed into the back of an unmarked police car, Potter began to speak. He said, I helped her. She wanted to go. She made her choice. I helped her. I put up a bit of wood on the ceiling. I tied the knots. I didn't think she would go through with it. Derek Potter alleged that the previous year, along with his wife, he had been in a sadomasochistic relationship with a lodger named Paul Williams. According to Potter... Leslie had fallen into a deep depression after Paul's death in January 2018, and she had spoken about suicide before. Potter's response was to call her bluff by setting up a piece of wood and a rope, but he didn't think she would go through with it. Potter explained that on the morning of Leslie's death, He had brought her a cup of tea in bed before leaving to meet someone to collect some money he was owed. When he returned, he found her hanging in what used to be Paul's bedroom. When asked what his initial reaction was, Potter told detectives, Bitch. Bitch because she had not told me. You loved Paul more than you loved me. You did this in his room. Thank you. At least you could have given me some warning. Perhaps she thought she had more to share with Paul than share with me. That was my first thought. Potter said that he then called his daughter and 999 and was told by the operator to try and cut his wife's body down. After getting a knife from the kitchen, Potter cut the rope and tried to support Leslie's body but she fell, quote, like a sack of spuds. A detective asked Potter what life-saving measures he took, and Potter replied, I knew she was gone. She wasn't coming back, mate. She was cold. She felt cold. There was no life left in her. I could see she was dead. What was the point of blowing up a lung that has no electricity in it? Might as well blow up a party balloon, mate. She did what she wanted to do. Why the fuck should I try to bring her back? What right have I got to do that? Why should I blow into this corpse when she isn't coming back? Derek Potter explained that he was worried about getting covered in blood if he performed CPR on his wife. He was afraid people would think he had murdered her. 
after hearing Potter's claims that he had been in a three-way sadomasochistic relationship. The interviewing officer asked if Leslie could have died in a sexual encounter gone wrong. But Potter replied, This was suicide. Potter was questioned about the position Leslie's body was found in, and he said that he had put her on the table to preserve her dignity. Leslie Potter's post-mortem was conducted on May 1st by home office pathologist Dr. Rick James. Dr. James found ligature marks on Leslie's neck, but also discovered bruising above and below those marks and deep bruising in her neck. This indicated she had been manually strangled. The ligature mark was described as a 5mm deep furrow around her neck and beneath her ears. The bruises around the ligature mark had a pattern that was indicative of manual pressure. Leslie had sustained 30 rib fractures, something Dr. James described as extreme. The injuries appeared to have been inflicted around the time of her death. She also had bruising and grazes on her abdomen, legs and feet, which were not consistent with self-suspension and a subsequent drop to the floor. There was bruising found on Leslie's tongue muscles, the back of her neck, and her voice box had been fractured. Severe stomach bruising was also noted. Dr. James reviewed Leslie's medical records and the results of the initial post-mortem examination which had been conducted at Morriston Hospital a week after her death as a formality. The toxicology results showed that Leslie had taken cannabis, but there was no alcohol found in her system. Traces of cocaine were discovered in a hair sample, indicating that she had been in the same environment as the drug, but she had not ingested it. The photographs taken at the scene also bolstered the pathologist's suspicions that the suicide had been staged, as the noose had been placed over Leslie's hair. Another telltale sign was there were no footprints found on a nearby stool, and her body had been placed on a table that was not directly below the rope. The pathologist said that in his 30 years of experience... He had never seen anyone hang themselves naked. He later testified, Women hang themselves, probably less frequently than men do, but they do hang themselves. But I'm yet to see somebody who has purposefully hanged themselves who is naked. It is a very odd thing to see. Dr. James concluded that a likely scenario explaining the injuries he saw would be if someone had been on top of Leslie while applying pressure to her neck, chest and stomach. Derek Potter was charged with his wife's murder on May 3rd and remanded into custody to face trial five months later. 
People who knew the couple described Potter as someone with a temper, especially when he drank. And Storer later told Wales Online, Derek had given up drinking because it could make him confrontational. He gave up a few years ago, but I think he had been back on the whiskey and it could make him get punchy. I very rarely saw them together. They seemed all right together, but you never know what goes on behind closed doors, do you? That said, I don't think it was a big shock in Mumbles as it could have been when people found out. I knew Leslie Moore. She was suffering from arthritis. I had seen them together a bit more since he started drinking again, when he was back in the pub. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bowl and Branch sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order with code BUTTERY. So head to bollandbranch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Meet 2024's most anticipated robot vacuum, Eufy X10 Pro Omni. With powerful 8,000 PA suction and MopMaster's dual mop pads, it keeps your floor sparkling clean. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards, and Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. The trial began at Swansea Crown Court on Monday, October 22, 2018. Mr Justice Alexander Saul presided over the case, to be decided by a jury of eight men and four women. Crown Prosecutor Elwyn Evans QC opened the trial by explaining that the police were not immediately suspicious of Leslie Potter's death. A full investigation had not begun until Natalia came forward to report Potter's confession. Evans told the court, Mr Potter killed his wife by strangling her using his hands. He then tried to cover up what he had done by pretending she had suspended herself with a ligature. 
he almost got away with that pretense. The jury heard that a stool was found in the bedroom where Potter claimed Leslie hung herself. There were no footwear marks or footprints on the top of the seat, but there were shoe prints on the legs of the stool, similar to boots Potter had been wearing upon his arrest. Derek Potter had admitted to the police that he previously strangled Leslie in a drunken rage, and that shocked him into giving up alcohol for some time. Natalia Mikhailova Kisilevskia testified that she had heard Potter's confession in the pub shortly before Leslie was due to be cremated. After thinking it over for a few days, she reported what she was told. Potter's barrister Mark Wyeth QC asked Natalia if she had misinterpreted what Potter had said. He could have been speaking about a prior incident where he had strangled Leslie. Wyatt suggested it was not clear whether Potter was referencing her death or an incident that had occurred years prior. Natalia replied, It was very clear. Those words still lay in my head. The defence's case followed Derek Potter's version of events. On the morning Leslie died, Potter claimed he was out of the house for around 25 minutes. When he returned, Potter expected Leslie to be in bed. She wasn't. Potter checked the downstairs bathroom and did not find her there either. He went to the back bedroom and discovered her hanging from a wooden beam. At the trial, more testimony about the alleged sexual relationship between the Potters and their lodger Paul was heard. Derek Potter had insisted to the police that the relationship had been ongoing for an extended period, and it involved elements of sadism and masochism. Strangulation and asphyxiation were part of the sexual activities, and each participant had a safe word. Potters was Alice. Leslie's was Rabbit, and Paul's was Judith. The words were supposedly uttered when they wanted the choking to stop. A rope would be tied to a beam and then around their necks. This same rope was later used in the alleged suicide. Derek Potter claimed there was also role-playing games such as Paul's inability to pay the rent. Potter said that after Paul's death in January 2018, he and Leslie stopped, quote, playing games, and she became increasingly depressed and dependent on painkillers like cocodamol, a drug which contains codeine. 64-year-old Derek Potter testified in his own defence. He said that he had become concerned about Leslie's use of pain medication, the amount she drank, and what Potter described as hoarding behaviour. He expressed those concerns to their GP. Potter told the court that Leslie did not have a prescription for cocodamol, but she would buy it from various pharmacies so the staff would not know how much she had. 
Potter said he believed that it was Paul Williams' death which led to his wife's depressive state. Paul had contracted pneumonia while being treated for cancer. The defendant told the court that Leslie had been too afraid to visit him in the hospital because she had never trusted the medical fraternity. Potter claimed that Leslie had been upset about her son's return to Oxford after visiting them the weekend before her death, and she was missing her grandchildren too. When asked by the barrister what had happened when he found Leslie hanging from the beam in the back bedroom, Potter said, I grabbed her in a sort of bear hug and tried to lift her up. I tried to get some loose rope. I thought it would be a slipknot, but it wasn't. The defendant insisted he had repeatedly tried to loosen the knot. However, he was unable to hold Leslie's body up while he tried to untie the rope. After calling 999, he said that he cut her down and she fell to the floor. Potter testified that he had picked her up and placed her on top of a table in the room, but he had fallen on top of her while lifting her up, and his full weight had landed on her body. Potter said, Her weight carried me over. We've both gone over together. I've still got her in a bear hug. I'm laid on top of her. I can't get my arms from under her. During his cross-examination, Potter was asked how many times he had strangled his wife. He replied, About fifteen, I should think. Derek Potter said the majority of instances were carried out as part of a sexual game, but he admitted that he had strangled her in a temper a couple of times and had almost killed her once. It was that incident that led to him briefly giving up drinking alcohol. Potter also confessed to holding Leslie by the throat in a local pub, explaining that he thought she was talking out of turn. He described regular physical confrontations between the couple as weekend specials. Potter told the court, there's a difference between strangling somebody and stopping them from speaking. You can strangle somebody with two fingers. You don't need the whole hand. Just a thumb and a finger would do it. Leslie has felt the softer end of it. The gentle touch. The prosecutor asked if Leslie had felt the softer end of it, and Potter replied, There have been times when I have been a naughty boy. The drink. The prosecutor queried if Potter was able to tell how much force he was applying to his wife's neck, and he replied, If you are going to strangle somebody, it is best to use both hands, I would have thought. In response, Elwyn Evans QC asked him if that was how he strangled his wife and killed her. Potter answered, I did not strangle my wife. The defendant also told the court that he and Leslie had discussed euthanasia on several occasions. 
He had put a piece of wood across the ceiling beams in Paul's bedroom and showed Leslie how to tie knots in a rope. The prosecutor asked Potter how showing someone how they could hang themselves was helpful, and Potter replied that, I didn't show her how to hang herself. I made it possible for her to hang herself. Potter described his partner as a, quote, very, very selfish person in her own way and did not want to be a burden to the family she loved. When asked if he had encouraged his wife to kill herself, Potter said jokingly that he had told her a month before her death that there was a faster way to die than by the amount she smoked per day. He had offered to get Leslie a bag of heroin so she could overdose, and claimed she had said, Not this week, thank you very much. Derek Potter was asked to explain his varying accounts of what had happened on the morning of his wife's death. He claimed he had called a friend at 8.55am and went back to bed for a while before collecting firewood and lighting the fire. He then made Leslie a cup of tea and cleaned the bathroom, something he had not mentioned in previous statements. Phone records showed that Potter had made a call in Mumbles at 11.11am and collected his wages. Eleven minutes later, he called his daughter to say he had found Leslie dead. Potter had told police he had been stuck in traffic in Mumbles for 20 minutes, but CCTV footage showed that traffic was normal that morning. There was a 15-minute window where Leslie was alone in the house. The prosecutor told the court that Potter claimed that in that short time frame, Leslie had got out of bed, moved her dressing gown and slippers to the back bedroom, taken a wooden baton to use as a windlass across the beam, attached a length of rope to the baton, made a noose, and hung herself. Elwyn Evans QC asked the defendant, By the time you got back by about 11.15am, she was cold, her fingers grey. She was clearly a corpse, correct? Potter agreed. He was asked about the actions he had taken upon finding Leslie's body, and the prosecutor referred to a stepladder Potter had mentioned in his police interviews. Perplexingly, Potter decided not to use it to get Leslie down, explaining, I didn't want to move anything around, sort of. If I'd had blood on me, and if I move the stepladder, it's going to look like I did it. The prosecutor asked the defendant why he was more concerned about what other people might think than helping his wife, and Potter replied, It just flashed through my mind that I shouldn't get blood on me and shouldn't be moving stuff around. From the stand, Potter mentioned knocking a piece of wood to try and get it down from between the ceiling beams. He had also not revealed this in previous statements. Referring to the inconsistencies, the prosecutor said, You are making this up as you go along, aren't you? I am going to suggest that your story changes because you have a sufficient period of time when this offence was committed 
and you have to cover it up. Potter was questioned about the injuries found on Leslie's body during the post-mortem. He said the bruises on her neck were from the rope. The bruises on her legs were from kicking the coffee table while trying to get their cat off it. The bruises on her wrists were from him often helping her to stand and the bruise at the base of her tongue he believed was from a fall on the steps at the front of the house. Potter argued the 30 rib fractures, which included multiple breaks on the same ribs, had been caused when he fell on top of her after cutting her body down. In the police interview, Potter had referred to having healing hands when he spoke about massaging Natalia's foot in the George. The prosecutor asked him if he was joking when he said that, and Potter replied, I do feel I've got some sort of power in my hands. Yeah, but there's a difference between healing hands and reviving the dead. I'm not Jesus Christ, am I? The prosecutor went on to ask the defendant about comments he made in a police interview when Potter suggested that Leslie could have manually strangled herself during sex. He replied that she could have made a mistake and that it was possible, saying, It was more likely if she was having a sexual thing, she would stay in bed. I think she killed herself. What's more, when Potter spoke to the police, protesting his innocence, he also surprisingly suggested that his son-in-law or Natalia could somehow have been involved in Leslie's death. Potter was asked why he told Natalia about his S&M interests during the conversation in which Potter had proposed that Natalia move in with him. He explained that he knew her rent was expensive, he was simply offering her a place to stay. Potter told the court, I've had a great sex life. I've been married four times. I've had a crazy sex life in my time. I didn't want her feeling I needed sex. Throughout his time on the stand, Derek Potter offered explanations for forensic evidence that often contradicted his account of what happened. He was asked about the results of toxicology tests from the time of his arrest, which showed the presence of paracetamol, codeine, valium, cannabis and cocaine. He admitted that he did not have a valium prescription, but said... I've used cannabis most of my adult life. I believe you can get traces of cocaine by using public toilets these days. The prosecutor questioned why the jury should believe that Leslie had committed suicide, despite not being suicidal the day before she died, or any other day according to her loved ones. She had been looking forward to the birth of another grandchild. Potter replied that she had told him she was tired of it all. She had suffered greatly from arthritis, even when carrying out the simplest chores around the house. The prosecutor asked Potter if he thought he was very clever in covering up what he had done to his wife, and the defendant replied, 
I didn't think I'd done anything. I talked to Natalia. I told her in no uncertain terms I didn't want a relationship with her, but I would help her. I would let her stay in our house because of her boyfriend. Telling her I was in a relationship with two people and had lost two people, and then all of a sudden I've admitted to something she feels the police ought to know about. Was clever in trying to help people. Three weeks down the line, I'm arrested. The prosecutor asked Potter if he thought he had got away with it, and he answered, I still feel guilty that I hadn't seen the signs. I should have spotted something. As the closing arguments began, the prosecution told the jury that there was ample evidence to convict Derek Potter if they put all the pieces together. The inconsistent timeline, the admissions he had made, the pathology, and his propensity to strangle his wife. The prosecutor reminded the jury that Derek Potter had lied repeatedly, and his story had evolved to fit the evidence. Potter had tried to blame others for his wife's death, including his son-in-law, his daughter's friend, drug dealers, and his wife herself for taking her own life. Potter was described as a man who knew how to use his hands as weapons. He had admitted to strangling Leslie many times before, once in public, and it emerged in court he had previously tried to strangle a hotel worker while they were on holiday in Turkey. Derek Potter's barrister told the jury that his client had tried to save his wife from what ultimately killed her, which the defence claimed was a broken heart, alcoholism and depression. Mark Wyeth QC reminded the jury that the prosecution had not offered a motive and that if Potter wanted to leave his wife, he could. The barrister argued, Mr. Potter doesn't murder his wives, he divorces them. Mr. Potter had been married four times. The defence counsel suggested that the use of the windlass that Leslie and Potter had used during sex and the location of the supposed suicide were messages to her husband. The barrister said that Leslie knew what she was doing and had ample time to do it while his client was out of the house. After one hour and seven minutes of deliberations, jurors returned with a unanimous verdict. Every member of the jury did not believe Derek Potter's claims that his wife took her own life and he was found guilty of murder. On November 8, 2018, Potter's sentencing hearing was held. Prosecutor Paul Hobson, who acted as junior counsel during the trial, addressed the police's response to Leslie's death and admitted that it was not as sufficient as it should have been. 
Mistakes were made either of common sense or procedure or both, he said. Leslie Potter's family were told one thing, then another thing sometime later. No family should have to deal with that. The response would be reviewed by the South Wales Police. A victim personal statement by Leslie's daughter Victoria was read to the court by the prosecutor. She said that her mother had been taken from her and her family in the most unimaginable way. Leslie's death had changed their lives forever. Victoria described how she was still numb and in shock and recalled being told that when Derek Potter had been arrested on suspicion of murder, she was preparing for her mother's funeral. She had not been able to grieve the loss as a result. Victoria described the trauma of the trial as Potter had lied about her mother and showed no remorse. She wrote, I feel like my mum's memory has been tarnished with the untrue things said about her in court. Mum is not here to give her side of the story. How could he carry out such a crime towards the person he was supposed to love? Life will never be the same without mum. We should have had so much more time together. Adrian Leslie's son also wrote a statement for the hearing. He described his mother as kind and loving, someone he could speak to about anything. Adrian said, I will miss my mum for the rest of my life, and knowing I could not protect her is hard to live with. Nicole, the daughter of Leslie and Derek Potter, described the anger she initially felt at her mother when she believed Leslie had taken her own life at a time Nicole was four months pregnant. Nicole went on to say, My mum was my best friend. She has been cruelly and selfishly taken from us. Mum had a grandchild on the way that she will never be able to meet to hold, to cuddle, or to love. Derek Potter's barrister apologised for the distress his client's actions had caused by not only killing Leslie, but covering up the crime with lies about a sadomasochistic relationship the couple had with the lodger. Mark Wyeth QC said, it is a side to him that is some type of benign fantasist, and he has a tendency to say things that are superficially shocking. Mr Justice Saul addressed Potter in his sentencing remarks and described how Potter had staged a hanging, leaving his wife's naked body in the back bedroom in order to make it look like a suicide. Quote, you have subsequently given a varying array of false accounts. These include the suggestion that on discovering her suspended body, you made repeated unsuccessful attempts to remove the ligature around her neck and thereby save her life. You sought to bolster the pretense that your wife had chosen to take her own life by reference to her physical condition, in particular her severe arthritis and to personal matters which were said to have caused her depression, 
Leslie Potter did have severe arthritis and had suffered adversities in her life. However, as all the evidence shows and even as you intimately acknowledged, she was a person of strong character who confronted all these matters with huge and unremitting courage. She dearly loved her family, her children and grandchildren, and at the time of her death was looking forward to the birth of another grandchild. You murdered your wife of 26 years by strangulation as you held her down by the force of your body. Resilient and courageous as was her character, she would have been no match for the strength and ferocity of your attack. The judge referred to the aggravating factors taken into account when determining the sentence. He considered it to be an aggravating factor that Derek Potter had exposed Leslie's naked body to terrible indignity and dishonour, and Potter had tried to conceal what he had done by staging a suicide, attempting to cast suspicion on his son-in-law Anne Natalia. During sentencing, it was revealed that Potter also had a string of convictions prior to 2009, including battery and public disorder, something the jury were not made aware of before arriving at a verdict. There were no mitigating factors other than the judge's belief that the murder had not been premeditated, and Potter had acted in a sudden, independent and terrible moment of hostile fury. Derek Potter was sentenced to life in prison, with a minimum term of 17 years, to be served before he is eligible for parole. So where are we now? Following sentencing, Leslie's family released a statement in which they spoke of their difficulties in coming to terms with what happened, the gratitude they felt toward members of the jury for rejecting Potter's claims, their thanks to Natalia for speaking up, and the relief they felt when Potter was convicted. This statement is read on behalf of the family of Leslie Potter. We are very pleased with the guilty verdict, confirming that Derek Potter was responsible for the death of our mother, Leslie. We want to thank the members of the jury for listening to the evidence they heard during the course of the trial and for disregarding the stories that Derek Potter made up in an attempt to cover up his actions. Not only have we had to come to terms with the fact that he so cruelly killed our mother, but we have had to listen to him tarnishing her name throughout the investigation and the court case. Leslie's loved ones described a loving mother and grandmother who put on a brave face in spite of the challenges she faced. The statement continued. Our mum had suffered with gout and arthritis for a very long time, but did not allow this to stop her living her life. She was strong-willed and determined not to let these conditions affect her life. She enjoyed a drink and liked to socialise. She enjoyed playing cards with a small group of friends. She would regularly walk to the shops and stop and chat with people. She was known by many in the village. 
and will be sorely missed. The South Wales Police said they would review the initial responses to Leslie's death, which had only gone as far as scene of crime officers attending and photographing the scene. No criminal investigation was initially considered, nor a pathologist sent to view Leslie's body. But Natalia Mikhailova Kisilevsky had not come forward to report what Derek Potter had told her. He might have escaped justice for the murder of Leslie Potter. you for listening and a special thanks to our Patreon supporters for more information on this episode please see the show notes or visit our website theywalkamonguspodcast.com Meet 2024's most anticipated robot vacuum, Eufy X10 Pro Omni. With powerful 8,000 PA suction and MopMaster's dual mop pads, it keeps your floor sparkling clean. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards, and Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.